Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast that's the musical equivalent to getting sand in the eye. And speaking of eye, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined as usual by my co-host, He's a rolling pin wizard who gives coffee scrolls their twist. It's Team Metal's Evan. <laughs> but anyways, guess what? What? We have another diva in the studio today. And if this guest was any more stunning, we'd all go deaf, dumb and blind from the beauty. This talented star has become one of Australia's finest theatrical leading ladies since bowling us over in today's chosen musical. But sadly, I missed that. But that's okay. Because today's diva also gave her two cents in the Threepenny Opera, was a stone-cold rock chick in Rock of Ages, plus got dirty with some rotten scoundrels, which I'm sad to say I also missed. But not all is lost, for this blazing star cleaned up in Dusty. Nope, didn't see that. Solved some problems in The Sound of Music. Oh, no, whoops, I was avoiding that one. But wait, beautiful. Could I, hang on, no, is that the Carol King show? Oh yeah, nah. Wait, what about TV? Let's see. Utopia, Molly, Winners and Losers, House Husbands, The Pacific. Oh wait, I don't watch TV. (laughs) Shit. Oh, hang on. Of course. School of Rock. How silly of me. I saw School of Rock was in Melbourne, but sadly I missed that too. With three dozen credits on stage and screen, I realised that today's vivacious talent is one that I have not seen perform live, which will make it all the more exciting when she won't be seen by Tommy in the upcoming Vic Opera production of The Who's Tommy, Oh Hey Michael Cerverus, which is fantastic because I had a feeling 21 was going to be a good year, and after meeting this lady today, it's going to be a ripper. So please give a warm g'day and welcome to the show, the adorable Amy La Palma. How's it going? Thank you. I am so sorry. I have never seen you perform. (laughs) That's okay. I didn't realise until afterwards because I've seen so much theatre. And when um, it came to talking to Scott and booking this appointment, I sort of looked through the cast and and Matt Hetherington follows me on Twitter and I've seen him in numerous shows. Matt, I can't pronounce anyone's names. Um, I've seen, you know, he's on The Voice. Yes. And then I said, Amy, oh, yeah, I I would have seen her in something, surely. And I'll throw it and I'm like, you've been in in three dozen productions. How the hell have I not seen any of them? (laughs) And you you called yourself a musical expert. I know, but that makes it more exciting for me because... You are going to be Mrs. Walker in Victorian Opera's production of Tommy, which I have tickets for. So how is that going? Because uh, to, to our listeners out there, um, this is recorded a week in advance, uh, which is rare for us. We're months in advance usually, and we have just gone back into lockdown. Yes. Yes, we have. Uh, look, we are remaining hopeful. That's our, um, you know, that's the party line, but it's also the truth. Next lockdown will mean, this lockdown now, will mean that it's our second lockdown of the rehearsal period. And it's actually my Mm -hmm. third because I couldn't do the first week of rehearsals because I'd been in a hotspot. So I had to self-quarantine for the first week, went back the second week, then the lockdown started. We've had the third week. And then, yeah, anyway, it's been 
a less than smooth rehearsal period, but in testament to um, Victorian Opera and everyone that's involved in the show that, you know, we yesterday as the lockdown notice was coming in, we were finishing the finale. So the show has been completed in terms of, you know, what we all know. You're blocking. Yep. Blocking and all of that stuff. We all know where to be and how to do it. Um, and now it's just us being hopeful that after this seven days, um, we can get back in the theatre next weekend. We'll miss our opening dates, but the hope is that we'll use those dates to get our dress rehearsals in yep. and that we might still be able to achieve a few shows the following week. So it's it's very admirable that the company's determined to kind of keep going. I am so thankful. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I've waited 26 years, Amy. <laughs> I'm actually wondering how the, how the venues handle this like do they just go all right if it's next week it's next week and we can just carry on or well or are they booked out you know or they got other things in line we can't extend but we did have those allocated dates so we've just got to you know do as many shows as we possibly can with reduced capacity however it's Mm. going to be and however it's going to look what works in our favor is that our technical crew can work through lockdowns because it's considered construction. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone, anyone that's worked in the theatre knows, you know, it's, it is kind of quite a construction set in that, in that tech time, mm-hmm. lighting, plotting and rigging and all that kind of stuff. So given that can continue, they won't lose any time, which is really yeah. fantastic. Um, so the show will be plotted and put together technically and hopefully ready for us to just get back on stage and have a very protracted rehearsal process but Mm -hmm. you know a little bit of determination goes a long long way in things like this so everybody just is doing their homework and um when we do get the opportunity to come together we're making it count yeah well i would be more than happy for the 20th which is when i have tickets for that to be opening night and for me to be the only person in the audience (laughs) i would probably give a standing ovation against my nature uh, as we will get to as in ah, one of my questions. just Aaron in a hazmat suit, sitting in the aisle, going, yeah. I know I'll be fully vaxxed. <laughs> I- I'm half done. Thank you. But I have to ask, and I know everyone's going to, everyone who listens to this show and Evan's going to have a chuckle about this, will that scaffolding be removed from the stage? <laughs> because I have a problem with scaffolding. And I put a message out well, to Victorian Opera, please no scaffolding please. in this show. Please no scaffolding. Oh, hilarious. I mean... I don't think there's scaffolding. It's um in, in the set. I mean, yeah. No, I know. I don't know. I think yeah. we're. I think it's um, it's a definitely a an abstraction of you know a, a real life set. You know, it's not. Yep. It's not completely naturalistic. But um, and there is a rostra because the band's on stage. Okay. Is the drummer hot with the hot arms? <laughs> I haven't seen the drummer yet. Okay. Well, let's hope he's not, because <laughs> otherwise I will be distracted and I'm there to see you guys, not the drummer. <laughs> Oh, we can't help that. It's fine. I think it's, I think with, you know, the performance of something like Tommy, there's got to be a bit of back and forth between your attention between the band and the, and the performers on stage. Cause it's sort of, you know, more than most shows, it, it really is about the music that got us there really wouldn't exist without that album. That's true. And oh, tell me about it. But anyways, it's, it's not about Tommy today. We're going to jump straight into the metal. Have you had any experience with heavy metal in your music career? (laughs) Um, oh, you did Rock of Ages, didn't you? That was. Uh... I did do Rock of Ages. It's a bit more of hair metal than than heavy metal, isn't it? I've been sort of trying to brush up on my 
on my middle subcategories because awesome. admittedly, you. um, you know, I'm a, I, I, for, I did actually know it a little bit better once upon a time. Yeah. So Rock of Ages did have a bit of hair metal in it, a bit of poison. And I think there were some sticks. I can't remember now. Um, but when I was in year nine, I was in a music class with the all with my all girl school had a com- combined um, year 11 music class. And I yep. was a violinist, quite a serious violinist at that age. And so I kind of skipped a couple of years ahead and was doing year 11 music early. Yep. And part of our project was to form a band. Mm-hmm. And I got put in with the, um, the kind of the metal heads of the boys school. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was briefly in a, um, in a metal band with a full double kick drum kit the whole bit doing those kind of really atmospheric vocals and um and a bit of violin you know there was a lot of doubling of the strings and to get us a very big epic sound and yeah I I remember getting some um given some cds to take home and and listen to and (laughs) try and expand my what you know what the guys considered was a very narrow musical um you know, uh, palette that I had, yep. but, uh, yes, but that was quite a long time ago now. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a good 20 years. Awesome. Yeah. I'm already going, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Violin in with, uh, you know, distorted guitar and, and, and double kick drums. Yeah. Hell yeah. It was a good time. You know, where, where do you plug in? <laughs> Go exactly. No, year nine, was that six years ago? Seven uh, years yeah, ago? I don't believe 20 years ago. <laughs> no way in how. It was um, hilarious. But anyways, first off, Evan, you chose the metal album this week. I did. I get to choose them now. I've been around long enough. You have? <laughs> yeah. We're getting some proper ones in now. Okay. That's what you want to uh, think. Um, now, would you like to tell our <laughs> listeners what you picked for Amy and I to endure? Well, this week I picked the, you know, from, from one of the biggest bands in the world, one of their greatest albums yeah. they ever put out, Seventh Son of the Seventh Son by Iron Maiden. Now, I don't know why you didn't wait until I picked Seven Brides for Seven <laughs> Brothers, and it could have been episode 77. Well, again, I've, I've heard of the... They made it a movie, didn't they? It was a movie, yes. I've heard of the movie. I didn't realise it was yeah, a movie. I grew up watching that movie. And now as an adult, everyone makes fun of it. And I'm so offended. I'm like, I loved that movie as a kid. Anyways. Um, okay, so I'll go through my review. Uh, would we like to hear it? It's not much. It's they're terrible. I'm going to take that as a yes. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. When I first saw the cover, I got excited. I loved Lady Thor. Now we get Iron Maiden. (laughs) So I pressed play, and this was not Marvel at all. And it wasn't marvellous either. The opening numbers, The Quirky Moonchild and Infinite Dreams, kicked off a rather enjoyable effort from the esteemed Iron Maiden, clearly masters of their game. And I thoroughly enjoyed the sequel to the Tory spelling hit, Mother May I Sleep With Danger 2, Can I Play With Madness? Because... And yet again, it doesn't surprise me. Overall, there was so much camp in this album that it forced me to picture big-haired men in tight pants and open shirts, which is really not what a fella needs to imagine in his second week of lockdown. I can see how Iron Maiden get their name. And whilst I enjoyed most of the album, it did leave me kind of flat. Three and a half stars. Pretty good. Pretty. Pretty, pretty good yeah it was camp it was fun that was but it was also there was a, a dark edge to it 
However, metalheads, you cannot count because the titular <laughs> song, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, was the fifth track and not the seventh track. What are you doing? Match up your songs with the numbers or my OCD will go crazy. Just to keep your head straight, it was their seventh album. Oh, okay. Awesome. I like that. That makes me feel better. But they yes. could have doubled down. <laughs> I think that's probably where the idea, I think that's where the idea began. It's like, well, this is our seventh album yep. and, you know, yeah, got to do something with seven in it. Is this Rob Halford? Sorry to, to cut you off there. I, I don't know. This is Bruce Dickinson. This is Iron Maiden. This is... Oh, okay. Bruce Dickinson. Who's Rob Halford? Oh, Judas Priest. Rob... Yeah. Okay. The, yeah. You're in the, you're in the same, you're in the same era. You're in the same ballpark. Yes. Because uh, it was Black Sabbath and Judas Priest and Iron Maiden all, all in the you know mid eighties, all doing the same kind of thing. But oh, look, they're all old white dudes to me. Oh yeah. I don't know where you get camp from other than. The... Are you kidding me? That music was camp. Do, do you agree, Amy? Uh, I do a little bit. It was, wasn't <laughs> it? It's because, no, <laughs> there's something about, you know, the mythology element. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of taking those very big Lord of the Ringsy style uh, almost magical yeah well you know there's there's that that feeling yeah. of demons and dungeons and dragons and you know pulls of yeah fire and they fully set out to do yeah. you know a, a fantasy theme album yes with clairvoyance and lucid dreaming and all that kind of stuff yes 40 year old virgins <laughs> <laughs> i think by that point yeah they probably were i kind of love the expansiveness of it and the and the vision of it you know it's it's putting ideas front and center and you know as someone that does musicals for a job you can't listen to that and not see that that's kind of this wonderful imagination let loose and and great vocals great vocals um i mean the, the thing i you know i've always kind of loved about metal is the theatricality of it i mean yeah. it's it's so big I mean, I put it on this morning and it was better than my coffee. You know, I started cleaning the house. It gave me, it gave me a burst of energy. I didn't, you know, I, I felt no. really propelled by it. It was, it was exciting. Yeah. You don't necessarily can't predict it mm -hmm. in a way, you know, you don't necessarily see the changes coming. I live for a tight rhythm section, which, you know, a band like Iron Maiden's got in spades. They're, they're working so well together. And that cohesiveness is also really awesome to hear so I don't know I mean I I did look up some of the lyrics and I I loved the fact that um where am I which one is it the inf in infinite dreams it's essentially an I want song mm -hmm. you know there's there's kind of live, sitting there naming a problem trying to get through it um makes me wonder makes me think there's more to this I'm on the brink it's great I mean it's great lockdown music isn't it you know, you're going yeah. to be... Well, hang on. No, I, I've had to endure months and months of this, Amy. <laughs> this is our 37th episode. Well, so... fair enough. But, you know, for, for me, I kind of welcomed the change. And, um, and yeah, I, I I liked it. I like, I, as I was saying, you know, it's taken me, re-remembered my metal classifications and I was kind of quite relieved to hear a relatively clean pure singing voice kind of cutting through yeah. and th those soaring oh. melodies and like that's a great voice oh yeah just he's... it's it is it's, it takes you he's taking you with him and um i 
Yeah, I had a good time. Look, I don't know if I'd go back for multiple listens, but I was very happy to be reacquainted with what, you know, what the Iron Maiden sound was. And it does seem to me that, you know, I am, I, I did grow up being a bit of a rock and roll fan and I I do enjoy, oh yeah, the kind of ambition of it. Mm-hmm. I, I It's just, it's quite ballsy. Yeah, You know, it, it's kind of going, this is a, we've got a pop song structure. We don't need that. We're going to go kind of more operatic here. We're mm. just going to like take these ideas, go big. And then, you know what? We're going to slow it right down. We're going to even have a spoken section yeah. in parts. Like, why not? Go for the drama. I love it. Yeah. Yep. It's in 15 minute songs. <laughs> yeah. They, they'll sit there and, you know, turn the rhyme of the ancient mariner into a song, you know, and yeah. drag that yeah. out. Um, I, I'm so glad you mentioned, uh, well, you, you can't really deny the, the pipes on Bruce Dickinson. I mean, the guy can sing incredibly one of the best really in in terms of metal and this album is uh you know one of their like i said it really does encompass what they sound like and there's all different variations of it but this one in particular is that clean clear but still very heavy metal sound Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah and uh, yeah no one can sing like bruce i've seen them live a couple of times and they sound exactly the same on stage, if not bigger. That's cool. Um, you yeah. know, the PA could go down and he could just keep singing. He he <laughs> is incredible. He really is. Yep, that happened to Ashley Simpson too. We all saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Question for you both. How much do you think this was almost a concept album, in which case what sort of influence do we think Tommy has had over metal over the years because so many of these albums that we've listened to have felt like a concept recording or I have seen them pictured in my mind as a story. Yeah. So how, how do we think Tommy might have influenced? I, I mean, look, not being alive or kind of knowing much about, you know, what it would have been like to hear Tommy in 1969 yeah. or those years following, it's it's hard to 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 know. But just, just that kind of, you know, my... As a teenager, my favorite album was Sgt. Pepper's. And the yep. concept of that, you know, even in my postmodern 2000s upbringing, still blew my mind that a band got together mm-hmm. and did that. And the cheek of it, the fun of it, the, the drama of it, you know, was wonderful to me. It just yep. had this sort of ambition to think there was the biggest band in the world were going to do that. And then coming to Tommy a bit later and realizing that that actually was a similar instinct that the who had as well or pete townsend had at least was to sort of say well we've done the pop thing we're sick of these three and a half minute songs we want to say more than about ourselves about the world how do we do that with our musical output and i i think just that ambition is what obviously band then took from that you know they they weren't the, you know, they weren't getting inspired by Mozart writing the Requiem. That, that had been around for how many, you know, how long. And that's kind of the same idea, really, like to take these big ideas and about yeah. humanity and make it into a big masterwork. Classical music wasn't doing it. But then for rock to sort of start that in the 60s, like it is, you can see that lineage. And it's, it is quite thrilling, I think, that there is those those links that can be made and, I did sort of, you know, in my limited research, see that some critics like were critical of the fact that Iron Maiden might have been influenced by Tommy and then others were saying that that it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, a, it's a funny thing, mm-hmm. isn't it, to sort of how defensive or territorial we are about our influences and what 
what yeah. that purity of genre music can sometimes dictate, you know, than what the yeah. fans want. But I think it's better if it's just a broad church and you can say, yeah, I was influenced by Tommy and then X, Y, Z happened and here mm. we are. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't see the problem with that. But No, neither do I. Yeah, I think as both being, you know, English bands and the, the albums are only 20 years apart and I, I would find it hard to see how they couldn't be influenced mm. by Tommy at some yeah. in some way. I'm sure they all love it. You know, yeah. I can't cite an actual interview, but I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how can you not? Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I, I couldn't. If you were to ask me an Iron Maiden song, I couldn't tell you. So how, again. <laughs> not Run to the Hills. Um, nope. Number of the Beast. Uh, oh, geez. okay, yeah. Come on. That's 666. Yes. But yeah. that could just be my familiarity with religion and hell. Possible. I don't know. It's it's kind of an unmistakable voice. You either you know you you either know the songs or you don't. No. I feel like that there's a, Iron Maiden's kind of entered into that pop cultural world, even thanks to Jack Black as well, like Tenacious D, mm. and that you know you wouldn't have like the whole basis of Tenacious D as a band without Iron Maiden. I don't think either. Oh, that, yeah. that kind of like slightly comic but actually epic that intersection yeah, yeah. of those two ideas and and the, the cheek of it like there is a you know a, a wonderful um humor in it I think and because you kind of can't live in that sort of serious world without acknowledging that it is fantasy and it is it is a role-playing idea and and you're es- escaping to something and I you know I think that's kind of wonderful it's 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 healthy it's awesome and but it does kind of exist in our in our world even if you're not immediately familiar with the songs you sort of yeah. go oh wait a second i can hear where that's how yeah. where that's been around me that's it yes i know, know the name. And, and they will they will carry on their their sense of yeah. grand um to the stage shows as well the stage if you have a look at any of the images of any of the shows they're pretty much all like this where the stage is about five times bigger than it needs to be <laughs> and they'll have just everything going on there'll be uh cauldrons of fire and costumed uh, eddies the the mascot on the front cover there'll be costumed 10 foot tall eddies running around um they go through costume changes the, they'll you know run around with freaking enormous flags and just everything's very big mm-hmm. you know there was even a show uk years ago where they timed an raf flyover to go with aces high which is a song about the battle of britain you know that just to nail that timing of the <laughs> They had a they had an old timey playing a over the stage and then hit their song. I mean they're just it's awesome. big and they've got the now they've got the clout to just do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, and they generally do. It's camp, Evan. There's a, there's a self awareness behind it as well. I think they're all married with kids. That's homophobic. That's not what the term is meaning. It's just meaning no, it's... big and over the top and self aware. Yes, there is a lot of yeah. Okay, all right. I misunderstand the, the the meaning of the word camp. Yeah, you're, you're thinking of me as soon as I turn the microphone off. <laughs> okay, so you did um, Rock of Age, uh, not Rock of Ages, School of Rock. I did. I mean, I did both of those things, but yes. Oh, you, you did both of those. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to Rock of Ages. I'm not sorry. We're going to talk about School of Rock because you worked with some of the most talented kids in Australia. Yeah, so what was that like to sort of be amongst those these budding young talents and did you pick one that said yep that kid's going to be a star when they're, they're older 
So I'm going to watch out for that one. What was really my favourite thing about the kids in that show is that they were all-round excellent kids. There's something about, I mean, look, I I don't know if it's conceited to say this, but I grew up, you know, being an an orchestra kid and playing music. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of something about kids that do take their music seriously in a kind of playful way like understanding ensemble and what it is to play with others musically you just get it's an awesome point of connection it's it's the same kind of feeling you have on a sports team or anything like that like the camaraderie is awesome so it's sort of less about them being these um one-eyed you know dedicated practice for hours a day kind of personalities but actually more about the fact that they're really generous um interested curious kids and that was really emphasised in the way that they were directed in the show and mm-hmm. the way that they, they were sort of managed for want of a better term, you know, because there's three casts of kids generally. They rotate, yep. they do tutoring when they're not performing and they form these fantastic bonds together, but they've got to be realistic kids. You know, you're not, you're not watching them you know, you're watching them have amazing skills as, as instrumentalists, but you're also watching them, you know, be kids, discover things, relate to people, relate to each other as children. So it was important to keep that aspect of them valued so that they knew yeah. that that was what we wanted to see. You don't want to see this kind of precocious, beyond wise, beyond their years soul. You want a kid. And because that was so emphasized and they really took that to heart, it was such a joyous thing to watch them. They, they took on rehearsals with such open hearts. They took, you know, notes and direction with grace and enthusiasm. So as adults watching it, you know, sometimes we're a bit hardened by those sort of processes and hard on ourselves and sort of to have the kids there and watch how they handled adversity or changes or setbacks or anything like that. You were sort of like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. They're not swearing and going off for a cigarette. Yeah. Well, exactly right. Yeah. And if a mistake's made, they shrug it off and they move on and they know that the next shows or the next scene's a new opportunity. And yeah. So I, I really love, you know, I've gotten to work with kids a couple of times, but yeah, School of rock there was that element of the way particularly that music brought them together was really really cool the way that they took interest in each other's um, musicality and backgrounds Mm -hmm. was awesome and listening to them swap musical tastes is awesome you know like (laughs) when you've got kids that are super you know super great guitarists they're obviously going to be listening to a back catalog that you know, vocalists probably aren't interested in. So they'd be, you know, talking about music and maybe it's not the same as the swapping CDs that I had in year nine, but, yeah. it, you know, they're sending links and and um, and sharing things and it was awesome. You know, I got to jam with them doing some Fleetwood Mac stuff. Like they were up for anything. I'd played Long Way to the Top with them in a random rock bar in Shanghai. Oh, wow. And I did the bagpipe <laughs> part, part on a violin that I borrowed from someone. Like it was very ad hoc. Everyone was yeah. very up for it and... I think that was, you know, that was a real highlight for me with that show. Awesome. You were talking about them being kids and finding that fun in that and not just being stringent little soldiers mm. to, to learning. Uh, that's what the show's about. So, yes. yeah, if you guys weren't teaching it to them, hopefully they would have gotten it from the show. <laughs> you'd hope. Um, but they are children. But, yeah, now you say you've worked with children a few times. I'm so sorry. Oh, don't be. It's great. <laughs> Anyways, so we'll move on, I think, because um, the iron has turned off. 
I, I want to hear the I, no. I want to hear the violin doing the. Um, that sounds excellent. <laughs> I can picture it in my head. That works so well. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you when you don't have a bagpipe. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a video of this? I don't know. I don't know. It might be on my Instagram somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, there was a. It was actually re- you recorded it, or someone got it on their phone. Someone. Yeah, I think there was someone. Someone had a camera out on the night. Yeah. God, nice. People record someone yelling at the supermarket these <laughs> days. Someone had to have recorded that performance in <laughs> Shanghai of all places. How beautiful is China? Yeah, it was wonderful. It was absolutely gorgeous. I couldn't believe I was in China. <laughs> but anyways, we'll move on. We'll chuck to a quick ad break. We'll be back in a moment with Amy LaPama. summer winter spring or fall the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest west end show the fossey forest ballet where's the important stuff aha a thousand pound a week ensemble rate ah that's what mamma mia likes starring philip joel and a west end cast featuring carrie alice darren denny louise demon and oliver savile and more it all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. You can watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the theatre's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice. Tight. And we're back. You're listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. I'm making it up as I go along. That's Evan. And we're joined by Amy LaPalma, one of Australia's prime theatrical talents. We're going to jump into the musical section now. And we're going to talk about an Australian legend, Australian sporting legend, because you were in the production of Shane Warne, the musical written by Eddie Perfect. Now, can you tell our listeners about your experience with this musical? So Shane Warne, the musical, the first time around, I was one of my first ever jobs in professional okay. musical theatre. So yeah. it was in fact my second my second ever job and it was my first sort of long running show with a full rehearsal process. And um, at the time, I don't think I kind of realised how rare and exciting it is to be in an Australian premiere production. They don't happen often, do they? They don't happen very often. No. And so I was straight out of uni and got, you know, when I booked the gig. So I didn't, um, yeah, I just thought, you know, I think we had a six or seven week rehearsal period, which is unheard of in general. And that was because we were developing the yeah. show in the, you know, while rehearsing. Oh, so you get royalties. No, 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 no. Oh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. 
There's a different there's a different contract. Um, oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. Bugger. Um, Screw okay. you, Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Look after your artists. I I wouldn't. I also wouldn't claim to um, have had that much input in the show. To be honest, I was very I was very green and very new. Yeah, it'd be eleven cents a month. So yeah. don't hold your breath. You're not missing much. <laughs> no, it's we don't have that kind of lab workshop point system that yeah. America has but um we need it yeah I mean that's a whole other conversation we can do another time but... I will start having it don't you worry <laughs> I have a I have a microphone anyways sorry I'm I'm interrupting you that's okay so Warnie Eddie had um duh, had Warnie kind of debut in a couple of iterations to that point um <laughs> that I hadn't been involved in he did it at Adelaide Cabaret Festival I think just him mm-hmm. and a couple of others and then he did it at the comedy festival which was sort of everyone just, you know, in handheld mics, um, all blacks, you know, no sort of staging. And so the production that I was cast in was to be the, you know, premier staging, full professional staging of Shame on the Musical. Yep. Uh, and so that's what I was in. So we were, I think there was a cast of 10 of us. Um, and I was... Uh, in the ensemble and I understudied Shane, Shane's wife, Simone. Yeah. And... Just- just to cut you off quickly, to explain to our American listeners, Shane Warne is a cricketer. Cricket is a sport where they hit a ball with a piece of wood. So that's really all you need to know. And we will move on. <laughs> yes, a bit different to baseball, but. Yeah, I, I'm imagining they were picturing baseball in their head. So was, yeah. that's why I stopped it there. I'm like. It's a, you know, it works with innings. It's a full day. You know, you go for the full day. It's similar in that respect. Yeah, you're going to need sunscreen. But you run back and forth. You don't run on home bases. So, and and Shane Warne is one of Australia's most famous cricketers. Who is, um, as I've explained to you guys, uh, what a bogan is. He is also a bit of a himbo or a, a metrosexual. So he's sort of the Australian male <laughs> that looks after himself and has the Botox, and the hair plugs and all that. He's a character. So he's he's definitely a character. I think that that was why. He, that you know you could ask why a musical's been written about him but yeah. i think i remember eddie saying something to the effect of you know there was a time where you couldn't open the newspaper without shame Warren being mentioned in some way shape or form you know that mm. that was a period of years where it was as much about his exploits on field as off field it can't be you know if you're a cricket fan it really can't be overstated how extraordinary he was as a spin bowler and the impact that he had on the game was quite extraordinary he mm-hmm. had a fearsome reputation with internationally you know there is a ball you can youtube it's called the gadding ball and mm-hmm. it just you watch this ball just spin in this otherworldly fashion and and the the batsman can't believe he's out he sort of looks back at the wicket and just doesn't quite understand how it's all happened so there's a lot of mythology around yeah. sport, you know, in every, I think I mean, a lot of cultures can, you know, understand when, what we do with our, our sportsmen and women, you know, having the Olympic side at the moment, we're doing it mm-hmm. now. We make heroes out of these people. And sometimes these people disappoint us when they're heroes. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of the shame worn story. You know, we love him. We love to hate him. He does some really strange things make some strange choices, questionable choices, particularly with women. A shout out to Liz Hurley, who is absolutely <laughs> stunning. Oh my gosh, Liz Hurley. Why was she with him? So this is the thing. We, the first time we did the musical, that was pre-Liz time. Yep. And then the show, a few years later, uh, we did a, 
a step up from a concert staging. We'd certainly had, it was, it was somewhere in between. So the first time was definitely a full production. And then we did a more concert staging with a full uh, orchestra. Okay, so it'd yeah. be completely orchestrated. And that is the one that we did then recorded live on the Hamer Hall stage. Yeah. So that's the one that you can listen to on Spotify. But um, so, yeah, so it was quite a wonderful thing to be a part of because I, I love musical comedy and I love Eddie's writing. I like the Australianness of it. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that it, there's so much talk, particularly through COVID, you know, there's this arts versus sports back and forth that is never ending and that will never be solved. And, and it doesn't need to be. They're too doesn't. similar. They are very, well, very similar. I mean, it's true, isn't it? I think yeah. so. Yeah, um, no, no one believes me. So thank you. No, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I also think, you know, the only, what I will say is we in Australia have that definite tall poppy syndrome with, and mm-hmm. with, particularly with the arts, people are, terrified of opening their mouths to sing but they're not terrified to kick a ball and I was like I feel like all of our problems will be solved if we can just give kids the same confidence to sing and bang a drum that we mm-hmm. do to, for kids to throw a ball then we'd all kind of understand it that we're you know not that dissimilar but anyway yeah. um as someone that likes throwing a ball and singing a song um I I'm definitely in the you know I love both arts and sports category but um, the show really does, you know, deal with our fascination with fame and our expectations of what a role model is beyond their um, sporting achievements. But one of my favourite songs in the show is a song called That Ball, which is about that getting ball mm-hmm. and that kind of concept of that unifying moment that happens in a nation when you're all crowded around the TV watching this this sporting event. Yeah. And I think we have, that's a really deep part of our Australianness. Mm-hmm. Even again with the Olympics, everyone was tuned in the other night to watch Peter Bowl run. You know, it was fun. We loved- oh, no, not me. I was editing. <laughs> I had it up on the screen, but... I, yeah, I still, was- but you still had it up on the screen. Yeah. I mean, you were, it was in the consciousness. You knew to chase up on it if you missed it, you know, we've... Yep. We definitely, um, you can relate to that. And I love the fact, I think Eddie's written this high, you know, this kind of operatic song that that deals with everybody being in the different, you know, I know where I was when that ball yep. was bowled kind of idea. So I, I love that particularly, but, and it was really special performing it because, you know, the audience we got for that show was different to a normal theatre audience. When we first performed at the Athenaeum in Melbourne, they let people out for drinks um, during the show. And what was really gorgeous was uh, people doing the similar thing that they do at the MCG at the footy, where they'd kind of get off to the edge of the aisle, turn back to their friends and do that indication with their hands of how many beers they wanted. So they'd sort of do this silent mime (laughs) at the end of the row, get the five, five, get run back, scurry back in with the pots, kind of back into the seat. And it was honestly like it was at the footy or at the cricket. So I love that 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 sort of same pattern of behaviour could work in our In in both, yeah. (laughs) It was great. Was was there the guy walking around going hot pies, yeah. cold drinks, chocolate bars? <laughs> yeah. Not quite. Annoyingly, Amy's taking all my talking points because oh, I was going to bring no. up most of those things about how the ball got its own song. And I think even Eddie Perfect said he went from uh, zero to hero in that one bowl. Um, and, and he even talked about the, the different crowds you would get 
um, yep. to come and see it. You know, and the amount of people who would think that Shane Warne was in the show. <laughs> and yeah, and you were able to get a pie and a beer, you know, on your way in. And, and yep. he sort of, he did sort of go out of his way to make it uh, like a spectator sport rather than a musical. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it was pretty fun to be in, you know, the, I mean, I, I, more than fun. It was one of my favourite performance experiences ever. And, you know, the fact that I got to do it twice is pretty special. And I learned a lot from doing that show in a sort of, you know, craft way because of the fantastic performers that I got to work with both times. They were so, you know, generous and funny and tapped all were sort of really tapped into what made the show quite unique. And, it, you know, it is a funny thing to have on your CV because it'll always raise an eyebrow, you yeah. know, if, if we're the more music theatre purist, <laughs> oh, Shane Warne the musical, oh, yeah, how, how was that? And I was like, actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Compositionally really interesting, um, you know, great vocals, great ideas, very funny, you know, you know it, it ticks so many boxes. I'm very yeah. proud to have been a part of it. And a successful Australian musical, which there are not enough. And it's not for lack of talent. No. It's really not. No. But for some reason, the producers aren't putting the money behind them to get them. I mean, Muriel's Wedding, yes. But that was riding off the Muriel's Wedding name, as was Strange Bedfellows, as was... What else have we done here? Oh, Eureka Stockade. That was a big <laughs> musical. But it's exactly, it evoked that reaction from you that the one time they put that money behind an Australian musical, that's what happened. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, we just don't, yeah. we don't have the same level of arts philanthropy here than we do in the States. And we don't, you know, it's, it is, it's a different model Something like people don't necessarily understand the millions of dollars that go into making a Hamilton. You know, yeah. the, the question is how how do we get that mega musical? But even something like Muriel's, which did have a lot of resources, wouldn't I don't even think it would have a 20th or a 30th of the resources that a Hamilton would have had thrown at it. You know, yeah. it's it's still, they're still getting these shows up on the smell of an oily rag and doing an extraordinary job for it. But it does take time to to get shows up and it takes nurturing and you know I have great admiration for our Australian composing cohort because there is a strong sense of mentorship and and you know doing their best to try and and get these things going yeah but yeah it's it's hard it's a hard slog yeah it is now so Evan this was your first Australian musical what did what did you think let's see your review in front of one of the performers again? Yeah, yeah. I was I was halfway through my research and went, all right, what has Amy done? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> She's in this. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it was only through doing my research that I found that there was there was a Keating musical. Yes. Yes. Uh, sorry, what, so I'm yet to even look at that. Anyway, so yes, you made me listen to Shane Warne, the musical, yes. which again, I didn't know existed. Um, I didn't know anything about it. Now, see, the difference between me and Gareth is, see, Gareth watches a lot of cricket. Oh, does he? Yeah, um, and, and motor racing and rugby and all that kind of stuff. Dad was mad on it, a lot of cricket. Like, I still remember being in New Zealand and um, Australia bowling underarm. Oh, yeah, you know, that's something you, big deal. You know, I was very little, but I remember the noise that came from the lounge yep. when that happened, being in New Zealand at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, all I really know of Shane Warne is, uh, you know, what the papers 
would say. Yeah. And just like Eddie Perfect was saying, I think the quote was, every time he landed in a different city, uh, there'd be another bit of news and, and, you know, another scandal and, you know, oh, he's been caught smoking again. Oh, he's over and over. So that's all I know about Chain One, really, other than apparently is a really good bowler. The tabloids. Yeah, I just know the, the tabloids. Yeah. So I don't really watch cricket that much. Yeah, so I've listened to, I was listening to this. I don't know. I'm I'm a big fan of British comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, your black adders and that kind of thing. And I, I find it really hard to find Australian comedy funny. That's that's fair because I hate the Australian <laughs> accent. Well, there you go. Like uh, in in a microphone. Like I think when we do American accents and English accents on stage, it's so much better. And I I, I know that's racist or. It's un-Australian, mate. I don't fucking care. It's awful. Listen to the sound of my voice. I do. It is awful. Anyways, continue. Sorry. That's <laughs> my ongoing beef. <laughs> Every week I have to listen to your voice. I know. That's why you're on this show. <laughs> yeah, I gave it a good listen. There's yeah, there's some well-written songs and there's some there's some good performances. Um, you know, there's some oh god, it was such short notice I I can't pick out names of, you know, who who sung what and we had Lisa McCune. Shane Jacobson, Verity Hunt Ballard. Would have been a lot of Lisa, I think. God, she can sing. I think, what an SMS I'm in. Unfortunately, waited till right to the very end to make me laugh. Because that was, that was funny. But that pun, the pun itself is brilliant. Yeah, the never cross the line, I think, uh, going off the back of, of uh, like something like the Book of Mormon, where their tongue is firmly planted in their cheek, and it's really quite obvious, and you know where they're coming from. With We Never Cross the Line, I'm sort of going, uh, I'm not sure if this is coming from the right place. Like, um, there's a, Yeah, there's a few things in there, I think, even in 2008, we sort of could have done a little better. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an interesting one because the point of it is that they're crossing the line. You know, you know, like the, the yeah. point is that they are genuinely, much yeah. like what a woman does, that you're supposed to go, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. This isn't sportsmanlike. Yeah. We can't, yeah. we do so much to excuse this kind of behaviour and say that it wasn't intended and it was just yeah. on-field antics, but yeah. in fact, it's actually not okay. I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying, sing it, singing a song called we never cross the line while crossing the line oh, i was cringing a little bit but yeah I, oh, I don't know unfortunately i i haven't seen it obviously because I, I i assume there's there's no pro shot because there's never it's... a pro shot of anything I, I saw i did see some clips i'm just not a huge fan of australian comedy I, i'm just saying i couldn't get into this you couldn't no i don't think i would Is it, and mainly because the subject matter like i'm no fan of shane Warne either and glorifying someone who's sleeping around well not glorifying but certainly pointing a spotlight at him and how many of these sportsmen just keep messing up and we keep excusing their faults and we keep pointing spotlights at them and it's like oh, I... yeah that's the point of the show stop quote retweeting <laughs> these people just so it wasn't for you not for me no yeah it's an interesting point because it's that thing of you know is it better to ignore ignore it or do we put a microscope up to it and i suppose in the you know from having been in and I guess I can't um, have the experience of listening to the soundtrack and yeah. having a different interpretation other than one I know of what the show is yeah. because yeah. I'm I did it. And I can genuinely say that the show is done to critique yeah. what it is and how we elevate sports people for the wrong reasons and that we give mm. them air in yeah. the wrong way. And what it is to balance that, it's definitely not a glorification. It's not a love. It's not a love letter to Shane. Mm. 
Um, no, but un- unfortunately, it, the people who don't go to the show just see the big marquee, yes. Shane Warne the musical, and, and, and go, oh, look at that. Someone's made yeah. a musical about Shane Warne. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But much like I wouldn't say that the Book of Mormon is to uh, convert people. Yeah, exactly. I would sort of similarly, I would similarly say the same thing for Shane Warne the musical. You know, yeah. it's not, um, it, it has the exact same trope. And you go in there and the familiarity Mm. of it and the the way the success of the show, I think, lies in the fact that we have each at some time, even if it's as a teenager or, you know, whenever it may be, we've idolized people and then we've had to kind of re reevaluate. Reevaluate, yeah, Yeah. our our relationship to them and or we excuse them for these reasons. And then there's the the tension of, yeah, someone I can think of now in that we're I mean, hopefully we're all kind of looking at the Lewinsky Clinton stuff these days, thinking, wait a second, in the when it happened, Lewinsky was the punchline and somehow Bill Clinton came off unscathed. And now yeah. we're all looking at it again, going, She was 23. Yeah. What the hell was everyone doing? That was, you know, and and I I kind of yeah. feel like that's what the show was sort of doing is is looking at that idea of how we looked at women, how we looked at sportsmen, how we how that narrative works and um but unfortunately in order to sell it yeah you, you call it shame on the musical but it is more like how you know how do we elevate our sports people for the wrong reasons the musical you know I, if, <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i i completely yeah. understand where the musical is coming from what they're going for yeah just from listening to it but in in doing that again, you're shining another bigger spotlight on them. Yeah, so you know, yeah, you're torn. You're morally torn. Well, how about this? That uh, Tommy is about the cult of celebrity, and so is this. Yeah. Even though we did Tommy in last week's episode, um, but there is that connection there. Okay, so obviously it wasn't for you. So what did you give it out of five? No, although yeah, well, like I said, um, what an SMS I'm in is is genuinely yeah. funny and a brilliant pun. There is a couple of good songs in there uh, that I can't freaking. Oh, the away game was funny. I'll give that one. Yeah, no, the away game was was genuinely funny. Yeah. I'll give it. I'll give that one. But yeah, I don't know. For, as uh, for someone who's just, I don't know. Yeah. Don't have yeah. a lot of time for Shane Warne to begin with. I think the subject matter is already uh, yeah. gonna gonna put me at yeah. arm's length. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um. But yeah, let's see. Uh, give it a score. Um. Geez, that's a tough one. Well, I I think if if Sunday was. Sunday at the Park with George got two and a half. Yeah. Um, and what did Frozen get, Evan? You tell Amy what you gave Frozen. No. Frozen got a five. Really? <laughs> yeah, Frozen's excellent. You, you you should go see it. It's brilliant. Fair enough. Yeah. We had Princess yeah. Anna there, so he was... No, it wasn't It wasn't that. It I wasn't mean, I can that. understand, though. If you're a metal fan, the epicness yeah. of Frozen, I, I get it. Like, I, I get it. Oh, it is. It's, yeah. it's so big. Yeah. It's so huge. Yeah. yeah. And it's so well everything. Yep. You know, the ensemble. Don't get me started. You just go listen it back. Listen back to the episode. I loved it. Disney magic is real. It is. It is real. Uh, so if Sunday Punk George got two and a half. Yeah. Um, so I, I've got to go with a... I've got to go for like a one, one and a half. Ouch. I invite I these guests on and you insult their work in front of them. Evan, you're as bad as your brother. Oh, I can't, I can't lie to people. It's this one. This one in particular is not my thing, but then, but then I can easily turn around and go to, to get in the sound of music. Damn. You've got to be able to sing. Oh, I can sing. You know, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, 
there you go oh, yeah you know can. as i said there was three dozen credits or something that I had to mm. work through to do that introduction. And no, anyways, we'll, we'll move on then because I got some questions here. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com dot com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of the Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Crack, thud, the human trips over the uneven ground as the twanimal blows out the lantern. Watch your step, Kapoor says a little too late. Why did you put the light out? Ollie Kosh, an open flame near hay bales? And here I thought you were smart, sir. Toniston agrees with how silly he must have sounded. What are we doing out here? The boy asks as they blindly walk around the side of the house, where they're greeted by giant shadows rising up above them. Unable to properly see in the pitch-black darkness, Toniston presumes they are the three hay bales. He looks around. The plains are vast, and the spotlights out in the distance, now a purple colour, seem to be too far away to bring any real light to them. They do, however, look very pretty dancing on the rippling oceanic sky. Stand back, the silhouetted cub paw warns with his gruff but friendly voice clearly able to see in the darkness better than the human who had constantly refused to eat his carrots. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Well, actually, first I've got some questions. sporting-themed questions. Oui, great. i got a fun one here. Create a song title for these sporting musicals. Dipper, the Roppet Dippy Domenico musical. A song title from Dipper. It's got to be something about a mustache, surely. Yeah, I've got one written down, which is in fact about a mustache. Yeah. Didn't he do the pie ads? Was that Dipper? And yeah, and he did the Dimmies and Forges ads yes. as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. You know, are we doing like autobiographical? So when he's a kid, yeah. Um, maybe it's like his earliest, you know, his puberty, and he's like really willing that that mustache to grow in. He really wants to frame his face, so it's something. That's the I want song. Oh yeah. yeah, something like Oliver esque, like I want Mo. <laughs> awesome. The one I had written down was "You Can't Handle Bars." Ah, very good. Very good. Oh. All right, next one. Big Heady Maguire. Ah, it'd be something like just a boy from Brody. Just a boy from Brody. I've got, look at me, Maggie. (laughs) So that's what he would walk into the Collingwood Magpies and say to them. Beautiful. And lastly, The Fallen, or how Stephen Bradbury defied the odds and took home the gold. Or Stephen Bradbury musical. Um, Oh, goodness. (sighs) For those people at home, he was an Australian winter, or he is an Australian winter Olympian who won our first ever gold because everybody else fell down. 
So now when you hear the term, he did a Bradbury, it means he won by accident or they won by accident. I'd be saved the best for last, wouldn't it? It'd be something like that. <laughs> yeah, save the best I for I vote last. for slip and slide. Slip and slide. Okay. Well, mine was slippity doodah. All right. Now, who is another sporting figure whose story would make a compelling musical? Because there are many. There are many. Ben Cousins. Ben Cousins, the musical. If that hasn't been done, it is being done. Oh, I think really? it would be too sad. Yeah. No, I wouldn't watch that one. I'd watch the Nick Nat musical i'd like a kathy freeman oh yes good. wouldn't it be good yeah i'd watch that i don't i don't care who's in it i'll oh, watch it with like olympic flame it had it'd have it all the suit the um the gold the indigenous flag yeah. it'd be, oh it'd be wonderful australian sweetheart i'd i'd love that Let's let's get that going. Now we put that mm. out in the universe now. Someone you have to be listening. Please start writing a Kathy Freeman musical, but don't cast Amy as Kathy. Cast <laughs> her as a white character, please. <laughs> we are in a new age today. Oh, there you go. Who who plays Kathy? Oh. Oh God, where do we start? Yeah, see, I was thinking like Vicky or Linda Bull, but that's not going to happen. No, I mean the the fun, exciting part will be that there will be a young actress that hasn't you know maybe been discovered yet that could do it although miranda tapsell could do it she can do everything yeah yes I, you know, she can she really she's really extraordinary so saying that make it miranda yeah awesome you know let's get this happening goodness me okay so when playing characters based on real people what is your process to separate the fact of the person with your own fictional portrayal and does that add a sort of sense of danger or excitement to the character that you you know that you are straddling that line between possibly nearly offending somebody ah <laughs> oh, yeah it's a it's an interesting one playing real people is it's an interesting problem because you without it being prosthetics and everything else, there's always mm -hmm. going to be an element of my body and sound and this person kind of having to find a, you know, a middle ground. I can't, you know, shapeshift as much as I want to. So the essence of doing it successfully for me is being as truthful, sort of, you know, trying to find an element of emotional resonance that I can understand that they would have been experiencing that I can put in my my body and, and my headspace mm -hmm. and going from there. Yeah. And even with comedy, it has to come from a truthful place. And then you sort of dial it up or dial it down depending on how yeah. to do it. But, you know, even a character that you might consider to be someone that's made bad choices, you know, it's not interesting if I play, you know, wink, wink along that I know that this character has made bad choices. You know, you've got to play it with the authenticity of that person in the moment. Yeah. So in integrity. Yeah, that that's the the I guess the boring answer is just being as as true to what they were feeling at the time. I found that audiences have been are quite forgiving. You know, it was my experience with playing Dusty that they have to sort of just buy you as that. And if you, you know, the show will support it, costuming and all the rest of it. And you do your research and I try and sing as much like her as I can, but I'm not her, you know, so. Oh, bugger. <laughs> unfortunately. But people do go on the journey with you and yeah. they do, they do, you know, invest in you if you, if you honor the story in the right way. Yeah. Now there's, um, did I say it in on this show or another show in the off off topic, but on topic in the lost special features, they talk about that opening 
episode where the polar bear is in the jungle. And when they were on the set or on location, the writers were sitting there thinking, is this idea going to work? Is this show, this ridiculous concept going to work? But when they were watching the actors believe what they were saying, they sold it to them, the writers who had created it, which was then going to sell it to us. So you're right, when, when the actor believes what they're doing and, and and sells it with integrity us at home will believe it and that's why so many things will will work that could be outrageous compared to something that is serious and and dramatic anyways oh standing ovations what is your experience with them because in australia we're a little bit tighter with them but it's a changing time out there i i've seen people give standing ovations at previews and i was so embarrassed for my city <laughs> Yeah, if you, if you haven't been listening along, this is a running theme where Aaron has an issue with the overuse of standing ovations. I, I have, no, I have an issue with a, a few things on this. <laughs> has a lot of issues. Yeah, it's, um, I, <laughs> I think it's America's fault. It is, it is, it is America's <laughs> fault. But I'm not alone in noticing this, am I? Look. Well, I'll I'll give you a little story. So when we did yeah. Rock of Ages, that was yeah. 10 years ago now, we had our wonderful American creative team and there was this big discussion because the final number of the show was Don't Stop Believing. Yeah. And the audience wasn't standing because the show was still happening. Yeah. It was in the, 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 the number was still the show, but that song is so much a part of the American kind of black musical landscape apparently american audiences just instantly stand up as soon as that song starts and sings along but in australia the show's still happening so they're not going to do that but the american creatives thought it was a problem they were like what's going on why aren't people cheering what's going on how's this how do we fix this and they brought it to us as the cast and we all were like oh we what we we've got no expectation of this happening we don't care Yeah. So, but it was, they felt like they had failed in some way because that reaction wasn't happening. Yeah. They were expecting it. They were expecting it. It's just what happens in the States. It is interesting, you know, producers engineer it for opening nights, I think. And I don't think it's the worst. Like, uh, as a performer, I can genuinely say that we don't expect it. I don't think it's something that we hinge much. Um, yeah, if we don't have those expectations, when it happens, it's lovely. If it doesn't happen, it's fine. But when it happens, it tells you something very clear when it's genuine. It does. You can tell when it's genuine and when yeah. it's not. Yeah. And I'm not really worried about it. Oh, I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a big lover of the screaming and shouting like when someone hits a big note culture. I kind of, I find that weird. It's like, it's not about the audience member. It is about the singer on the stage. Yeah. But look, audience evolution is a very strange and wonderful thing. I mean, I, I've done Rocky yeah. Horror and the call outs in that show are the weirdest thing that I've ever experienced ever oh yeah that's also a culture it is but it's also performative and it's the same thing where audience members would derail the show because they wanted to do something funny or smart yeah and they weren't interested in the performance they were spending you could watch them gearing up to do their bit it wasn't a dialogue it wasn't organic and that's frustrating and difficult but also they're paying money and that's but so are the rest of us amy so are the rest of us sitting next to these people it's true true. i um i i don't know i i think 
I try to be diplomatic. I think we're in a strange time now too because we're losing audience literacy. Mm-hmm. More more people are away from being in the live space, the stranger it will feel to come back. So I think we should go gently. I think the thing that pisses me off more than anything else is mobile phone use in. Oh, yes. And people recording you is something that I find gross. So you're anti-bootlegs? I'm very anti-bootlegs. <laughs> I actually, on principle, never watch them. Yeah. If I get sent one, I've, I've never watched one. Yeah, good on you. I just don't. I've never been... So in musicals, we do archival recordings every time we're in a new city for that purpose of if there's someone new coming into the show. So there's a rough sketch of, or not a rough sketch, it's the version of the show. It's used as a teaching tool. It's used as a way of kind of getting a smooth transition for creatives, checking in up on the show, all that kind of stuff. It's not a recorded rehearsed performance. And the expectation of an audience of the live experience versus the recorded experience. If you've ever been in a recording booth and you know how many takes it takes to get that sound, if you've ever been on TV and you know how many takes it takes to get that right, the framing right, a musical live is a very different experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot more is going on that can't be controlled. And so as soon as you film it, you're not taking all of that into consideration. You're comparing it to the... um, you know, the experience of what you've watched in a movie musical, which is done under kind of tight controlled conditions. Mm -hmm. I mean, doing The Sound of Music was very fascinating because people, you know, obviously I knew what people would compare me to Julie Andrews and I, on any day of the week, would never compare to Julie Andrews because she's extraordinary Mm -hmm. and a once in a generation talent. You know, Mm. that's that's not even something I even would think to come close to. However, it was funny to me that people would compare me to the movie, having seen me on stage. It's like, if she was puffed, they would cut that out of the sound mix. If (laughs) I'm, you know, there's that kind of like strange thing where people don't understand the difference. They don't really watch the sound of music and realize she recorded that in the studio. She's Mm -hmm. not actually on a hill when you hear that vocal. So that cognitive dissonance is frustrating. And that's Mm -hmm. why I find the, the filming difficult because we we've got that better literacy I think for live recordings but even I mean I mean this is a really dumb thing to like on this podcast to bring up but like have you not heard this show (laughs) no but just as an example just an album that I like a live a very famous live recording Neil Diamond's Hot August Night yep it's recorded extraordinarily well like it is a beautiful live recording done at the time you know it what is it the 70s when recording was probably at its best committed to vinyl you know the techniques at that time were extraordinary so that is an incredible live recording Mm. i don't think incredible live recordings like that exist anymore we don't invest that much we don't give that Mm. much people have an understanding of live versus studio in that context but when you're when you're filming it and you're seeing it i don't Mm. think people are so forgiving and that that's difficult i mean you just have to look at the adina menzel singing let it go at the whatever it was the difference between her singing it live versus singing the song on the studio. It's silly. Going back to your earlier point about um, bootlegs, just in in my research, I stumbled across this brilliant clip. It was like a an eight minute montage of actors spotting the camera in the crowd and giving them dirty looks. Oh wow! And- Can you send that to me? <laughs> I want to see that. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called. Honestly, that would be me. I've been. There's nothing that yeah. makes me more furious. I see red. You know, still singing their lines. But then just sort of going, you, you know. But I fully, this is the thing though. I, 
I know I'm a dying breed of this perspective. I think um, younger performers don't care as much. And it's not because, because they're just more literate in that world. So I know part of it of mine is that it's fear, it's insecurity, it's worrying that that show is just not going to be that the best show that I can do that day. Doing eight shows a week is really difficult and you'll try to be as consistent as possible, but sometimes there's things and then you can have a whole bunch of people judging you for it. And that's terrifying. Um, but it is part of the gig. So I, you know, I'm prepared for my opinion to evolve, but I think the part that I find difficult is when you watch someone watching their screen and detach themselves from uh, the process. Yeah, no, that's, that's difficult. Yeah. You know, that that's that's hard. They're not, they're not in the moment. They're, they're not in, in the, the moment. They're, yeah. They're anticipating the future, watching it in, in the future. Yeah. And that's a shame. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I don't know. I find it, it's the fact that we can then see it too because it's all black and then yeah. you get this like shining light popping out yeah as i said i don't know if it's i'm will, kind of willing to be challenged on it and to be told that i'm a dinosaur for having that opinion but i have loved the thing i love about doing theater is that there is this wildness in it and that there is a there's a life in it yeah. that can't be captured and if we become obsessed with capturing it, we're not going to need theatre anymore. Yeah, and that's that's the thing I think I'm more afraid of is that if I'm only ever judged for my performances based on how I was filmed that day and shared on YouTube, yeah. you're going to, I think, miss what I might actually do. Yeah. I mean, as a part of COVID, as a sort of side note, we've had to do a lot more auditioning for musicals on self-tape. Yeah, which is get your iPhone out, oh. put strap it to some kind of yeah. tower that you fashion, <laughs> tripod if you're lucky, and record yourself. And we all have, well, a lot of us have big theater voices that the iPhone sound compression doesn't particularly love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you kind of watch these things back, and also the extremes of having a face that moves and and sings is very different to what you're used to on a TV screen with, you know, more subtle performances. And it can be really full on watching Mm -hmm. these things back and you go, am I any good at this? What, you know, it's, it's an odd thing. (laughs) Whereas if I went and did an audition, having that kind of human Mm. connection makes a massive difference to how I can judge what I'm doing and if it's any good. But also you don't have to watch yourself back. You don't have to watch yourself back. That's yeah. it. So yeah, I was going to say with with your your opinions on on bootlegs and and rightly so. What what is your opinion of uh, participating in a pro shot? Oh, so do you mean like a, a an organised kind of recording? Oh yeah, mm. like they come along, yeah. and go all right. The next you know three four days we're going to shoot it. Yeah, that's very different. Yeah. And we need more. You're all for it. Like let's let's do it. You know, let's give it our best. And yeah, that would yeah. I mean, you know, things translate. Again, it's never the same as a movie filmed version, but, um, and some places do it more successfully than others, but that's also a really different thing. The, the sound's going to be taken from the desk and then it's going to be mixed. Yeah. And that is a very different experience to, again, what your iPhone is capable of. You'll get a better sense of the lighting. You'll get a better sense of everything. It'll be regulated. You might even get a second take if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely not against yeah. being recorded professionally, even yeah. though it's scary and, and and having someone who knows what they're doing behind the behind yes. the knobs 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't know what I'm doing for crying out loud. I'm still single. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Have we moved on for that? Because now you've distracted me. You're in a boat and one yeah. shot at and, and it's sinking. So you have to throw one of these shows overboard. Which <laughs> one are you throwing overboard? Les Mis or Phantom? Phantom. Phantom. Hmm. Annie or Oliver? Oliver. Really? I took them all over. So many children in those shows. <laughs> Rock of Ages or Beautiful? That's not fair. I knew that one would, would stump you. I'm going to say Rock of Ages because I think the sexual politics is dated very badly. Okay, yeah. Um, all right. Do you feel, despite a large enough industry, that there is enough promotion behind Aussie theatre, Aussie performers, and I'm talking cast albums, pro shots, getting our stuff online, even the Helpman Awards, which you have won, congratulations for. Even that's not shown enough. It's not boosted enough. Is it frustrating being an Australian performer? Um, or, are, or are we too humble that the idea of selling ourselves scares us? I don't think that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't, didn't think so. It's difficult because I think the nature of shows has changed. Now shows have become the story, not the performers in them. It's about Hamilton. It's not about who is actually playing Hamilton. So, you know, Jason Arrow is fantastic and people will know his name, but the show is the star. And I think that that's kind of the case increasingly. It's, there's always an exception to the rule, but I do think that that is the way that things are marketed is to go with the show being the star. And the name recognition and the idea recognition of the show is what is what wins out. And if you could say that that's a bad thing, but I also think our industry in general, I mean, Broadway ticket sales, everything else, and, and until pre-COVID, I think the Australian industry was doing really well. So um, while it, we may not be making stars out of our leads anymore, you know, it's not like the days where, you know, Mount mm. Marina Pryor or Rhonda Birchmore, you know, mm. people know who those women are. They don't know who I am. That's fine. But they will now. Work. No. <laughs> if, I can, if I can still get jobs, I, I don't care. I, I yeah. care more about a thriving industry. So it would be, I, I don't know the difference. You know, if I was more quote unquote famous, I don't know what that would do for me. Um, yeah. Sorry, I can't speak to that uh but i i think yeah it's it's an it's an interesting thing because it definitely has shifted i got told when i got cast in sort of one of my first big lead roles oh amy you know you'll never be you'll never be known but you'll you'll keep working and that that's all you can hope for in this economy kind of a thing and i was like oh that, that's fine um pretty australian thing to say though it's a very australian thing to say yeah. but it, it's also true of you know our industry it's the industry, musicals are competing with a whole raft of entertainment options and yeah. we do have a spectacular amount of choice and people are still choosing to spend their money and it's a sizable amount of money on mm -hmm. tickets to musicals yes. and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, so it is, it's an interesting tension. If I, I suppose the only irony is that if I could get myself some name recognition, I'd be more likely to be cast in a musical so there is this sort of weird conundrum of, you know, if I could get more famous, then I would get more jobs. But if yeah. I can't get famous doing the jobs, then how do I get more famous? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, I'd probably, you know, get, if I had have been the bachelorette, I could then do whatever musical I'd want 
and people would perhaps come to see that. But look, um, I'm not going to be the Bachelorette, and I'm not no. saying you're not famous at all. By the way. Oh no 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 no! I am. Um, <laughs> She's saying all the musical producers watch the Bachelorette. Well, yeah. it's, I don't think they mind about that as so much as the name recognition and if that translates to ticket sales. Yeah. And that's the legitimate. I think that that's a legitimate concern. Having people that can be draw cards, that can bring people into musicals is an extraordinary, powerful thing because what tends to happen is once you see a show, you want to see another one. And that's the yes. kind of wonderful thing about musicals is that they have a fantastic effect. Yes. Our production values are so good here. Our casts are so good here. They are. They, they guarantee a second and third and fourth ticket purchase. So... Yeah. I don't think that it's generally a problem so long that, that the fame doesn't exist so long as the jobs exist. Yeah. And whichever way we can continue that happening and keep the musicals being relevant to us as a society, that's my primary yeah. kind of concern. Well, just I, I ask because the theatre community online is very much like we're talking about bootlegs. As soon as the, the next alphabet's defying gravity drops on youtube it's got thousands of views because that's what they're like they find out like the, the show that they love and then they'll find out about the international cast and and learn about those performers and stuff like that if we had the boost behind it if they were say record one or two numbers from every production and put them on youtube as a full performance to showcase our performers to get them out there I think the international audiences would start to retweet and check out our our talent as much as they do the West End, Canada, Broadway, and even Germany and and um, Holland, where with um, Pia uh, Dows, I, I think her her name is like I know her name in Australia. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like even though I'm a big fan, but that's why because it's a community that we learn these artists' names, but we're not getting that boost in Australia. I don't think. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think people. I, you know, I'm sure people know who Gemma Ricks is, and people know who Anna O'Byrne is. I know Anna O'Byrne. I did The Little Mermaid with her in 1999. But Anna, you know, is in the definitive. DVD of Love Never Dies yeah. and is a gorgeous Christine and so she's known for that. I, all I mean to say is I, I think that there is the fan communities are very important but they're not necessarily the ticket buying community as no. well. well that's, and that's so that's true. the other interesting part where yeah. you've got a fan community who might be repeat sales for a lottery or who might be in that kind of everyday thrust of turnover for tickets but the yeah. people you're actually trying to reach and this is with no disrespect to fans because they really no yeah. keep interest alive for shows but but you're actually trying to reach that family who's going to decide to spend six hundred dollars on a ticket for a weekend and and that investment yeah and the in, they need to know what the product is as a whole and so i think that the yeah. way that shows are marketed more broadly is quite important on a mm -hmm. local scale and then the international interest and in other things is is good and makes musical theater have a bigger platform globally and and enters the zeitgeist and look at something like six which yeah has that fantastic you know young young women just being so into it and and pushing them like pop stars and it's yeah. awesome like i i i'm all for it and that creating fan communities that way is is really fantastic but in terms of, yeah, really that kind of getting fundamental bums on seats, I think is 
I don't know how much that hinges on on that kind of pride of having a you know the original cast recording being from Australia. I I wish it did. Yeah, uh, please Victorian Opera, please. But I also know the the expense of that stuff, the licensing requirements, like it's just money. It's money that we don't have, and the money is being spent on getting the shows up and on. It's a really really big difficult conversation and the the cooler aim I think would be to have more productions that are homegrown um here so instead of and look I'm all for a Broadway West End transfer but you know having had the experience of doing a show that is a transfer show versus you know a show like we're doing Tommy which is all fresh staging they're really different experiences and I'm really thankful to have had both you know and and I hope that that could continue for our local industry, that we mm-hmm. keep finding the funds to put on Australian-led, Australian-creative-led productions because yeah. we definitely have the talent and that we get peppered with these fantastic Broadway transfers which really set a bar, really sh- have a tone, have a slickness, have a, an extraordinary um, impact on on the broader industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we do here can be really thrilling too. So it's about that balance for me. Uh, and yeah. the, that's the kind of priority for, for like, you know, where my heart is and what, what I would like to see is the fact that being someone that's been in two, you know, original Australian productions of things, I'm incredibly proud of that and yeah. would love to add another five before I retire, you so know, yeah. or more. Fingers crossed. And retirement, that's going to be like 50 years away. Yeah. The more we can encourage people to revel in the live experience without it needing kind of proof of concept, it's it's sort of a big trust exercise, isn't it? To say, you know, we want to get you in the door. And so you're going to need these little teasers, but you shouldn't have to watch a full bootleg of a show to make you want to go see the show. Try releasing novels, Amy. <laughs> right. Fan fiction. You, you look at that you and go. go, that's a proper sized novel. Do you think anyone will trust me enough to bloody read it? Because there's no proof of concept for them to go, that's what I'm going to be getting. They have to go through 488 pages yeah. to find out. And that's in the third yeah. book, not the first. Um, so, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean there, that getting a trust. The trust. And it's... Yeah. and. I think, you know, even thinking about that with once, I think that us doing that stuff that was adjacent to the show, that showed the spirit of the show was a great way of selling the show without having to do the show and prove the show um, in a publicity sense. And I think that those kinds of um, ways of getting performers out there is, is really clever. I mean, even, you know, artists get rolled out to do the national anthem and things like that. You get mm-hmm. or interviews or you get a sense of the person. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's tricky. I don't, I, I would love more Australian cast recordings. Yes, please, please, please. I'd... As well, you know, mm. but I'd love more Australian musicals. You know, I yeah. would rather, I would rather the money go to creating and developing our own sound yes with yeah. an Australian accent sorry but um oh, no, yeah. no. <laughs> I feel like the more you heard it the less cringe no, I have to edit these episodes where I start off going g'day welcome to thrash and treasure yeah 
So I, I personally, if I could kill any sound off, it would be that incredible um, twangy nasal American accent, which for, for singing is yeah, not the hillbilly. Well, yeah. no, it's just like, no? it's like, it's almost like that punk, that punk nasal up to top levels, just stunt yeah. high singing twanginess. Not my favorite sound. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's complete. I've, I've offended your accent. You can offend America. No, well, it's, I, it has a place for just certain characters. And I think that's the yeah. same with, you know, my, I, I think if you get dismayed by the Australian accent, have a listen to Sylvie Palladino singing a Christmas carol at the Carols by Candlelight. I think yeah. I do every year. She does, she does the perfect Australian sound, which is beautiful and it's her own and it's yeah. not offensive. It's just like no. it makes you feel, you know, if I ever got homesick, I'd just listen to Sylvie. Yeah. Um, but it's funny that the meditation I listen to is an Australian guy. There you go. But he's got a coming voice. Do you know what it is? It's it's specifically in in film, TV. I, I not necessarily TV. I guess um, it's in theatre because I I feel like we overdo it to sound Australian. Does that make uh, sense? Ah, yeah, yeah. Because we're selling ourselves to the international audience there, and yeah. that that great. I think me. I'd I'd always yeah. I'd always prefer that over a badly um a bad american or british accent so you know you, you choose your battles but you it's do, accents, yes. accents, i could do a whole <laughs> i could do a whole thing on accents but but it's um yeah I, I i don't know i i'm all for i'm all for more content yes but I, i'll definitely say that all for more content i just think i'm also um i want people to feel like the theatrical experience itself is a special thing to protect and the expectations that our you know recorded world can set up maybe don't help us in that way so yeah yeah you know we need we need um kind of side reference material to then help the show live as a live entity yes no that's true Uh, i got one last question have you had a Sophie's Choice moment between two roles? Ah, um, I did have to say um, I had to politely withdraw from um, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder because I got cast in School of Rock and that was a that was a choice of um, yeah. the longer contract. So I sort of made the choice based on, you know, a longer running job would be a bit more security yeah. and um, sort of a six-week gig which I was very sad to do because I I really did love you know love that show and would have loved to be in it um but I had to had to make that call and and withdraw so that's sort of the only time I've had to do that yeah well the the Discworth is that how to pronounce it family got killed off there Dice Dice yeah you killed them off there (laughs) so it has been an absolute joy and an honor to meet you and and to explore your career and even things I'm still finding out about during this interview after researching (laughs) and all that and I am so excited about Tommy I'm hoping to be in that theater in the palais I've never stepped foot in that theater oh it's so good it's epic well, he doesn't want to see any scaffolding and he doesn't want to see any projection screens. But I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm go- I know I'm going to love every minute of it, regardless of any previous comments that I may have said on this show. <laughs> hey, look, but just, um, I, I think just remove expectations. Know that you're, you're going to be seeing it in a, you know, house of rock. 
like the Palais has housed so many amazing gigs over the years. So I feel like it's the right venue for, for Tommy. Um, and that's really exciting. And that the people that are seeing the material are extraordinary. And Matt yeah. Verivis singing um, Tommy will just absolutely blow your mind. He's just so good. No, it is, I, I cannot wait. And it has been an absolute joy. And where can people find you on the social medias? uh on instagram it is my name amy la palma which yep. is hard to spell but give it a go and uh also on twitter that i don't i you know i'm a kind of twitter observer these days more than a interactor with, yep. but i'm i'm there i look at it it's a it's a bin fire most of the time yeah um but instagram instagram is probably my place of choice and i think i also have a facebook page which you're more than welcome to have a look at but it's yeah. you know it's facebook i was just going to say we all we're all just hoping and praying that that tommy goes ahead and everything gets up on stage eventually and and i was just going to thank you for sitting down with two idiots and and congratulations on your career so far and and, and best of luck with the rest of it thank you thanks for having me it's, it's a, a bad time with lockdown and we're about you're about to head into show week maybe hopefully hopefully back on friday we'll see hopefully yes that's uh, and it'll be friday the 13th too so he will auspicious yeah let's i don't i don't believe it the only superstition i believe in is saying chookers yeah it's a good one it is a good one Fair. people keep saying break a leg on twitter and it's making my eye twitch um <laughs> yes but no that i think that's it um that was an episode Special thanks to Scott and Victorian Opera for helping this interview happen. Do you guys at home, take care, and we shall see you next time. Who wrote? Wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Um, really well. Yeah.